This is God's word. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preached Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Read that far in God's word. Where can we find true power? Not where people think at first. One year on New Year's Day, in the Tournament of Roses parade, a beautiful float suddenly sputtered and stopped in the middle of the street. The float was out of gas. It held up the entire parade for quite a while until someone could come with a can of gas. The amusing thing was the float represented Standard Oil Company. With all its vast resources of fuel, their own truck was out of gas and being televised that way. Where can we find true power? Not where people think at first. When people who are called by Christ hear the preaching of Christ crucified, we hear God's power and his wisdom. So we'll see this in three ways in our passage. First, those not called by Christ consider preaching silly, verse 18. Secondly, verses 19 to 22, other, quote, wisdom paths do not lead to God. And third, verses 25, 23 to 25, those called by Christ are drawn to know God. Let me read verse 18 again. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This, this phrase, the word of the cross, it means the proclamation of the cross, the announcement of the news about the cross of Jesus Christ. It means preaching from the Bible about the cross of Jesus and what it means. It's the way of describing true preaching, biblical preaching. This is the contrast to the speaking that Paul just mentioned prior. If you look back to verse 17, verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. That is, not with eloquent wisdom, not with fancy words or clever rhetoric. Instead, Paul's here describing the type of preaching which is straightforward, plain preaching, announcing of the cross of Christ. Well, what about it? Well, Paul wrote that such preaching drew out from every person one of only two possible reactions from every hearer. And they were two very different reactions. Every hearer of true gospel preaching has one of two reactions. Of course, it's a call to you to ask yourself, which reaction do you have? The first reaction out of the two is that for some people, true preaching of Christ and his cross is considered to be folly. Folly means silly, empty, nonsense. 
Who would say such a thing about preaching? Only people who would say such a thing about preaching are the people whose state of mind is known as perishing, Paul writes here in verse 18. People who are, to put it another way, spiritually dead. Those are the only people who say such things about preaching. Is that your view of preaching? Is that our view of preaching as Christians? What would we say historically as believers regarding preaching? We have the other view. So that's the one view, that it's folly. And the other view is our view, the historic Christian view of preaching. We would say that gospel preaching is not silly, but instead, according to this verse, is the power of God. I'll read it again, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Why would we say that? What's different about our mindset, different about the way we hear or approach true preaching that would cause us to say something so starkly different from others? Because we are in a very different spiritual state, a state of heart, a state of mind known as spiritually alive or flourishing or being saved for heaven. And upon us, preaching has a very good effect. Preaching has a very life-giving effect upon us. Even after a very uh, long time after our initial conversion to Christianity, when we've come to know well the Bible and to thoroughly be familiar with the old, old story, even then, we're still richly blessed, supernaturally equipped, whenever we get to hear the good news proclaimed again. To us, writes Paul, the whole group of us, all Christians down through the ages, to us, writes Paul in verse 18, this preaching, this regular, basic, plain preaching of Christ and him crucified is to us the power of God. And, and the word power that he uses here is the Greek word dunamis from which we, we borrow our English word dynamite. Powerful uh, explosions. It's the mighty power, unstoppable, even explosive power. It's, it's a power that draws people towards God through Jesus Christ. It makes us riveted to the message when heard and leaves us changed afterwards by its message, similar to the effect of dynamite itself. It can't be stopped or contained once it's set and it goes off and, and can't be limited and leaves a change afterwards. That's the power of God present in his messengers preaching his message. And Paul has cast for us here one unusual image for the power of God. And that is the cross. The, the word of the cross is connected now to the power of God. The cross as an image, as, as a word picture, is the image that Paul used for the power of God. Is that silly? Who would pick an electric chair to describe a successful career? Who would pick a cross, which is a symbol of Roman crucifixion unto death, as the symbol of the power of God? You have to admit it's an unusable image to describe or depict what it is we're talking about, the power of God. And it also seems that way to the world. It seems rather silly to the world to talk about the power of God in the same sentence with the cross of Christ. And then to do so every Sunday and to do so in every sermon seems like a waste of time 
to those in the world who are on their way to ruin, or as the verse says, who are perishing. It seems silly. It seems wasteful. Why would we invest time and energy into that? If you're going to talk about that stuff, I'm not going to be there, says most in the world, those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, hearing again, the cross of Christ is the refreshing source of life like nothing else. So that's number one. Those not called by Christ consider preaching silly. Moving on to our second point, other wisdom paths do not lead to God. This is back to our question, what is wisdom? And where do we get it? Verse 19, Paul quotes the prophet Isaiah saying that God would destroy the ideas of those with earthly wisdom. God's purpose was to show that the cross is the only pathway to spiritual life. The the world proposes ideas, other ideas, different religious ideas, different philosophical ideas, bright ideas, alternate pathways to, to get to success or the good life, ways to get to God, all sorts of various Ideas, some are recycled from long ago, some are new spin-offs. The world's many so-called spokesmen, religious leaders, step forward and find various ways of basically saying, we don't need Christ and his cross, because all roads lead to God, don't you know? Haven't they said that to you? Haven't you heard that repeatedly? Hasn't it been pounded into us from the culture? And all who say that are wrong says Paul, says God in his Bible. And it's sad because fast forward in time enough later and those who are saying those things and those who are believing those things that you don't need Christ and his cross because all paths lead to God, when those paths they're on fail to actually lead them to God and fail to usher them through safely the day of judgment of God, only when it's too late will they realize that their many various ideas were not wisdom at all. It's their ideas that were silly. It's their ideas that were folly and foolishness. That's what's sad. They're completely mixed up on wisdom and folly. They have the price tags changed. So Paul's phrases here in verse 19 are copied from Isaiah, so we have both Old Testament prophet and New Testament apostle saying what Jesus said, saying what God is saying to us in phrases like this. The wisdom of the wise, the discernment of the discerning. And these phrases have the effect of comprehensively saying the best thoughts of the top experts of the world. The best thoughts of the top experts of the world. The best of the best. The smartest thoughts of the, quote, smartest people. What about all the collective wisdom down through the centuries? At the end, God says, All will be shown to be silly. By whom? By God. All the best wisdom of all the world's smartest people for how to get to heaven, how to get to God, how to have bliss, will all be shown to be silly by God himself. God said it, so Isaiah wrote it, and then Paul quoted it, and now we're studying it here in verse 19, just as Christians have for the last 2,000 years, that God will destroy and God will thwart All the ideas such as modern pluralism, which is the 25-cent word to say that all ideas lead to God. Be you. You do you and you'll get to God just like I will do us and we'll get to God. That idea is silliness. That idea is wrong. That idea called modern pluralism 
It's just one of the ideas that God will destroy and thwart because it's false. So be very careful as you make your way through this world because there's a lot of false voices of silliness. And off this page, God is asking you, are you truly looking for wisdom? If you're truly looking for wisdom, then see what's really there in the statements of our culture and the statements of Scripture. Now in verse 20, he asks a series of questions. Where is the one who is wise? It's a reference to the entire Greek academy of philosophers all in their best conclusions. All of Greek philosophy in just these few words. Where is the one who's wise? Then he goes to the next one, the scribe. Where is the scribe, he asks. This is a reference to the entire Jewish synagogue and all of their scholars, all of their writings, all of their traditions. Is there anything from all of Jewish academia? You know, the scribes. That's worthy of note here. He goes on and talks about the debater of this age is his next question. Where is the debater of this age? This is a reference to anyone else who rises up later, who then has a newer and later and more modern idea for how life is supposed to be, how humans are relating to themselves, each other, and God. All of them, he says, everything that's in the Greek philosophy, everything that's in the Jewish tradition, anything else that comes up that's new, all of them, he says, are foolish if they have their minds closed to the message of the cross. And because of this one single fact, as Paul is laying it out, God has declared them all to be foolish. Not saying that there's no redeeming value in their research and their products, could easily be for this day, next day, a decade or two in this lifetime, there could be value. That's not, what he's, that's not the point. That's not the topic. That's not what he meant. He's talking about when we consider ultimate things, when we look ahead to the most important questions about life and death, humanity, judgment, facing God, dealing with God, the most important questions, the leading minds of the world through world history get it wrong. King Solomon wrote, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 9.10. You want to be on the path of wisdom, you are not even beginning to be on the path of wisdom unless you fear the Lord God. The best minds of the world's best universities don't have the key to life. They don't have the key to smarts or wisdom. They don't have the secret to eternity future. Because of that, Solomon says, Isaiah says, Paul says, They've not even begun to gain wisdom. Where do you get wisdom is a pretty important question. And God says, none of them have it. Verse 21, it's God's idea. It's God's wisdom that says, it's this world's scholars that can't get to know God by continuing down such a road of their own earthly wisdom. It doesn't lead to God. Instead, it's through cross-proclaiming that people come to know God. Listen to verse 21 again. Since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Paul's challenging the world's views of both wisdom and folly. Wisdom, asks Paul, where is your wisdom when your wisdom doesn't bring you to God? Our preaching is folly, you say, Paul asks them. Take another look at the result of our preaching. 
that supposed folly, as you call it, our preaching, is causing people to turn from their wrongs, have their consciences cleared, have their lives cleaned up, and they worship the living God and serve him throughout their lives. Take another look at the results, Paul's saying. You call that folly? The folly of what we preach is saving people's souls through faith. So Paul's challenging the world and the church in Corinth to not be hoodwinked by the false messages around them in Sin City. You see this clearly. The folly of what preachers preach is the precise means that God had decided to use to introduce people to wisdom in the first place. Our first step on the path of wisdom is to hear about the cross of Christ and to embrace Jesus Christ by faith. That's why we make such a big deal about preaching and why we support preachers to go as missionaries around the world. This is the one way that people can reach wisdom at all. The leading scholars of this world have both wisdom and foolishness backwards. What they call wisdom is actually foolishness and what they call foolishness, gospel preaching, is actually the only password that gives actual access to everlasting life and wisdom in God himself. And Paul put this question to the ancient university professors and speakers of the ancient world's cutting-edge conferences. Why would you keep on trying to invent your own ways to get to God? That's been done before, he says to them. Man previously tried that by building the Tower of Babel. The man-built tower did not reach to heaven. Not a single person got to heaven by climbing the Tower of Babel. The Greeks tried through philosophers. The Jews tried through their fancy writings. The debaters tried through conferences that debate the most modern ideas. We've got it now, says the modern. Like, they didn't have it before, but we've, we've grown so much since then. We're much smarter in these generations. And through those conferences, the debaters tried to reach God. Paul said, all of it is empty. All of it is nonsense. Which brings us to our third point. How do we gain access to God's wisdom then? Verse 23. We preach Christ crucified. Those called by Christ are drawn to know God this way. Paul explained that the two opposite responses, both generated by the same preaching of Christ crucified and risen again, are at play here. One response from the world Both Jews and Gentiles had the same negative, unbelieving response to the preaching of the cross. For the Jews, the preaching of Christ crucified was a stumbling block. They expected a Messiah to be a certain thing, to be a military leader, a political leader, a powerful person who will draw them out of slavery and being the the low guy on the totem pole and put them in a position of power again. That's what they expected from the Messiah. And to have a Messiah who's going to be on the cross and then buried, they just can't get there. It's a stumbling block to them. They can't imagine how the Messiah that they've been anticipating for 400 years would come and allow himself to be crucified rather than leading them out. The Jews have a stumbling block to the crucified Christ. The Gentiles, the same preaching, is folly to them. It doesn't fit in with the whole philosophy that they've been working through. But then there's another different response to the cross. That's one. Jews and Gentiles fall into it. And then there's a whole other one. Verse 24. To those who are called. Aha! Remember the word called? We've been studying this book together. Remember Paul's emphasis on the word called in verse 1? Verse 2, again verse 9, and here it is again in verse 24. Anyone could be called 
by God. Whether those are Jews, whether those are Gentiles, to the called ones, the ones who are called by God, how do they respond to the preaching of Christ crucified? Very, very differently. To those called by God, this preaching sounds like power. It sounds like dynamite. It blows their mind. It changes their life. It converts them from death to life, from darkness to light, from misery to joy. It absolutely upends their life. To those called by God, the first hearing of that calling comes through the preaching of the gospel. It sounds like powerful heavenly wisdom and love. Peace with God granted to them through another, through the death and resurrection of another. To those called who used to be spiritually dead but became eternally alive under the preaching of Christ crucified. That's the other reaction. Consider the teaching of Jesus himself to reinforce this. Matthew 7, 24 to 27, the famous story of the wise man who built his house on the what? On the rock. And the foolish man built his house on the what? On the sand. What's the result? The storm blew over the foolish and his house while the wise and his house stood firm. Two reactions to the same storm. But why? Why do we, and how do we account for two different responses? We, we account for it with either the presence of or the absence of the calling of God. The presence of the calling of God, one way. The absence of the calling of God, another way. It's all about the calling of God. Now let's see this teaching again in the teaching of our Savior. Listen to the prayer of Jesus to God the Father in Matthew eleven twenty-five. 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, listen, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Matthew eleven twenty-five to 27. So here Jesus taught that God the Father hides spiritual truth from this world's wise persons because they refuse to listen to the message of the cross of Christ. And the Father and the Son work together to reveal true wisdom and eternal life to those who are called by God the Father through his Son. So again, our question, why the two different reactions to the preaching of Christ crucified? Paul's teaching lines right up with the teaching of Jesus. The two opposite reactions are because some are called and some are not called. It's that simple. God is calling people to believe through the plain gospel preaching. Could be a Jew, could be a Gentile. The key thing that differentiates which reaction a person would have to the invitation of Christianity's gospel is not our ethnicity. It's not our personal background. It's not our education. It's not our training. The only distinguishing factor that determines whether we embrace Christ who's preached or reject Christ who's preached is whether or not we're called by God. Period. Verse 25, he summarizes and concludes with this same point. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. God is asking every reader. He's asking you. He's asking us. Are you looking for wisdom? God has all the wisdom. Colossians 2, Paul emphasized, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. God is asking you a second thing. 
Are you looking for power? God has all power. Even the weakest aspect of God is stronger than all the mightiest aspect of any human being. You're struggling with sin. You want power. Power to say no to yourself at the moment of temptation. You're looking for power. God has all the power. You can go to all those world solutions, and they don't have it. God alone has power. He's asking, are you, are you looking for power? Even the weakest aspect of God stronger than the mightiest aspect of any human wisdom. Paul's writing with the intent of God getting his proper recognition and acclaim. God must get the credit for being who he is. A sage can't think his way into heaven. A monk cannot purify his life enough to get into the presence of the holy God. A debater can't smooth talk his way into the good graces of the heavenly God. The only way to God is through God's own powerful calling upon our souls. How do you know if you have that calling? You know by your response to cross preaching. There's only two responses to the preaching of the cross of Christ. The unmatchable power of God brings us to salvation by faith in response to what he says to us in cross preaching. God calls us in it. God saves us through it. He provided his son to be our savior on that cross and he provided news about that savior through preachers bringing the word of the cross to the ends of the earth. That is the way to God. No other roads lead to God. What have we seen when people are called by Christ hear the preaching of Christ crucified? We hear God's power and we hear his wisdom. Silly? Those not called by Christ consider this preaching silly. Wise? Other wisdom paths do not lead to God and called, only those called by Christ are drawn to to know him. I seek to illustrate as we close. A a young boy traveling by airplane, visiting his uh, grandparents, sat beside a man who happened to be a religious seminary professor. The boy's reading a Sunday school take-home paper, and the professor thought he'd have some fun with the boy. Young man, said the professor, if you tell me something God can do, I'll give you a big shiny apple. And the boy thought for a moment and replied, well, mister, if you can tell me something God can't do, I'll give you a whole bushel of apples. Who understands the power of God? In this passage, Paul confronts everyone, everyone in his generation and everyone since. You find a flashy website now, Paul's already confronted it. It's not just about the limits of the wisdom of Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, Stoicism, Epicureanism that is present in this passage. It is about the limits of anything humans could ever rely on to get through this life and to heaven. The rich man thinks he can buy his way out of any problem. You can't buy your way out of the problem of your sin. The smart man thinks he can think his way out of any predicament. You can't think your way out of the predicament of your sin. The influential man thinks he can influence his way through all things. You can't influence your way through the problem of your own sin. God says to the rich man, you have no purchasing power other than the blood of Christ crucified. God says to the smart man, you you can't find a way through this, that the penalty due to you for your wrongdoings other than the wisdom of Christ alone and the inestimable treasure of his light shining upon your darkness. God says to the influential man, you have no power over me to smooth talk me to open the gates of my heaven other than the power of Christ risen 
again for you. Jesus, our shepherd, said, John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. That's the power of God. Do you hear the voice of Christ calling you to believe? Do you hunger for the gospel preaching from his word? It's the unmistakable power of God in your life. Psalm 29, 4, the voice of the Lord is powerful. And Romans 1, 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Let's pray. Father, thank you for calling.